Hi, I'm David Green, and you're listening to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Needless to say, over the past few decades, people analytics as a function has grown to become a crucial component of HR strategy. So much so, here at Insight 222, we have found that since 2020 alone, the people analytics function among leading companies has grown by 43%. However, despite this growth, there are still many questions surrounding the career paths of people analytics professionals. Are we starting to see stagnation in terms of career progression? And, more importantly, if so, how can organisations address these challenges and support the growth of their people analytics leaders and professionals? To help us discuss these themes, I'm delighted that my guest for this episode is one of the most recognisable people in the field, Serena Huang. With years of experience working as a people analytics leader at iconic companies such as GE, Kraft Heinz and PayPal, Serena has recently ventured out to start her own company, Data with Serena, a startup that focuses on leveraging people data and analytics to drive business outcomes. Serena brings a unique and fresh perspective on the evolution of people analytics careers and the future of the field, which is why I'm delighted to have her on the show today. Together we will discuss the common career paths observed in the field, how the role of people analytics is transforming with the adoption of AI, and the challenges CHROs face when leveraging people analytics for strategic decision making. We'll dive into employee well-being and its integration into people analytics strategies, as well as the skills Serena predicts will be crucial for entering and advancing in the people analytics field in the coming years. So let's jump right into the conversation with Serena. Serena, welcome to the show. Before we get started, it's a little bit of a ritual um, that I ask all our guests to give a brief introduction to themselves. So can you share a little bit about your background and the journey that led you to become a people analytics leader uh, and what, it's, what, it, what inspired you to work in the field? Yeah, of course. David, thank you so much for having me. And it's great to see you again. I'm Dr. Serena Huang, and I have been a people analytics practitioner for many years uh, since almost its infancy i would say i am a phd labor economist by training and really stumbled into the field of people analytics when it was just getting started so i built out the people analytics function at companies like ge early on in my career after a stint in consulting um, and then had really enjoyed the process of really building teams from scratch building the function from scratch at times i was scaling or turning around and i really had done that five times in large global organizations and most recently at PayPal. And uh, earlier this year, I launched my own company to really help educate the world on the power of people analytics. I found tremendous joy in sharing knowledge on whether it's podcast interview or public speaking and uh, virtual or in person. So I decided to really take it full time and go beyond the borders of my own employer and so far so good that's kind of how i got here so i founded data with serena it is short for my mission which is to help the world learn to love data with serena oh great we're definitely going to talk a little bit more about data with serena you mentioned that you've got a phd as a as a labor economist you know and, and given your experiences in the field you know at five companies you know what are some of the common people analytics career paths that you've observed 
There's many, and and I've seen it change over time as well. When I first started, I think there was a lot of people who came from IELTS like backgrounds. Certainly,、uh, some economics, some MBAs, you know, sort of ex consultants. But then, more recently, as、um, as it becomes easier to learn data analytics skills on the fly,、uh, I've seen more and more HR business partners who come from more traditional HR backgrounds go back and say, "You know what? I'm just fascinated by data analytics, and I got addicted to Excel in one of the projects. It's a real disease, and and I wanted to upskill and you know pivot to do something else. So,、um, so I've seen that trend. As well, and now、um, I've also recruited from other analytics functions in large companies, whether it's customer analytics or other data science and machine learning functions that are maybe focusing on non-HR problems, but with very comparable skill sets that are transferable. And as long as they have passion for people, that's the most important. The technical skills、um, certainly can transfer to solving people problems,、um, and and I think that. That's kind of where people enter people analytics, whether it's a junior or or mid level.、Um, as they go on, it sort of becomes、uh, you know most people analytics organizations, unless you're at huge companies, are still fairly small today. Even though、uh, we've been on this journey for for a while, so the promotion path. Is kind of limited because the organization is just small.、Um, so you know, even at the largest company um, um, team team size that I've had, I've probably have three, maybe four layers total, right? So that means unless I leave, my direct report doesn't really get to. Be promote you know get promoted into another level.、Um, that doesn't mean they can't get pay increases or things like that. But as far as vertical progression within the people analytics function,、um, it is not as、um, you know, as quick or as fast. So you see probably a lot of、uh, within your client base. I'm sure a lot of people moving around from one company to another,、um, especially after they get to the level reporting to the people analytics leader、um, uh, or the leader themselves because、uh, they. There's not a place to go vertically.、Um, I've also started to see that you know what, not everyone wants to grow vertically every two or three or five years.、Um, they might want to expand their skill set. They might want to expand their industry, and that's something I have personally done is、uh, do similar but different type of work across different industries. And I found the problem I solve very interesting because they're all different. That's kept me engaged over over the years and kept pushing this rock up the hill. <laughs> Um, but then I have also started to see people go into other functions within HR, like. Leading talent acquisition, like becoming an HR business partner、um, to be on the client side, if you will, instead of being on the analytics side, or compensation and benefits. Right,、uh, total rewards is another popular destination for people analytics leaders or team members to go to because、um, numbers are kind of bonding us together.、Um, and then I've also started to see you know kind of transition into other analytics functions as well, and completely outside the. HR,、um, so so I think there's、um, a lot going on in in the internal mobility, and over time we can start to see、um, more possibilities. Now, I、uh, of course will have to mention that some people exit 
corporate world completely, right? And instead of traditional employment, they become entrepreneurs like myself uh, and you in, instead. And um, and I think part of that is just um, I. I credit COVID to some extent. Um, I'm sure all of us, when we were so bored, were baking you know, banana bread or making pizza dough from scratch that we started to wonder, what do I really want to do with my life at some point? And for some people, that meant very different career paths. That meant quitting a, a job that they had been in for a very long time. And for others, it meant, you know what, well, I want to start my own business. And and now with so many free advice out there, it's easier than ever to to do something full time and, and just give it a shot. So, yeah, I, I think it's become really interesting to see how my peers over time have grown and many have launched their own companies as well. What I'd like to explore a little bit now, Serena, is, you know, your own path. And you ventured out and building your own startup, Data with Serena, and being pretty successful. We, we saw each other in London, I think, when you were speaking at the People Analytics World Conference earlier this year. From, from your personal perspective, what influenced you to your decision to leave the corporate path? And, and how's the transition been for you so far? Yeah, great, great question. I Like I said, I, I noticed that I really enjoy building teams and building a strategy um, for people analytics and seeing those aha moments in my clients. And I did a lot of soul searching, like many people during the pandemic, I had gotten multiple executive coaches and, and uh, even therapy. Uh, so lots of self-discovery along the way. And as I became more honest with myself, I know that what brings me the most joy were a few things. One is speaking, um, training, and then content creation. So those are really three things that bring me a lot of joy, uh, which I was really doing as a hobby in uh, in addition to my to my day job. Um, and by content creation, I think speaking and training are fairly clear. Content creation, I don't mean making you know funny cat videos, but uh, really sharing um, you know <laughs> my journey or insights around people analytics on LinkedIn and and really on the writing side, right? So I started my own newsletter, blog, and so on, just to share um, and then lectures at different universities. And I realized that I wanted to, like I said, go beyond the walls uh, of my company and, and the you know limited number of conferences I had time for <laughs> during the year in, uh, in addition to my regular job. And um, so I decided to take take that full time. But also one feedback I heard over and over again since I started even doing the speaking and training um, and, and sort of in conferences and within the companies is that uh, people will say, I've looked at data so for so many years and you have helped me see it in completely different light. And, and those are the moments I really hang on, you know, in, on a raining day. And so I think about how can I create more of moments like this? Because um, a lot of people in HR traditionally 
are not fans of data. They might even be fearful of working with data. And so I've had success in in getting a lot of them to go come to the dark side of loving data. And I wanted to you know just do more of that on on a different scale. Um, so that's what influenced me. I you know I like my job itself at various companies was very fulfilling. Uh, really enjoyed the team building piece and and the client interactions internally. But I just realized unless I clone myself, <laughs> I could not do all the things that I wanted to do because I still only have 24 hours. And then I pretty much told myself, look, I'm going to give this a try for six months. And if no one wants to hire me to do this, <laughs> great. Uh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go back, certainly uh, continue with the people analytics journey and some of the company. Um, but so far, so good. And um, yeah, and, and like I said, I, I think for me, the biggest learnings along the way is to to find out that I'm a multi-passion, multi-skilled person. And that traditionally doesn't fit inside corporate boxes. Uh, there's just no career path for um, a, a clear career path, at least for for someone like me, but at least at the time, but times could change. So we'll see. Um, I do see a lot of other individuals who are starting to do the same and really explore other parts of themselves. Um, you know, look like I, I paint, I create music and I don't I don't intend to <laughs> to to do those for a living um but i do it for fun um you know like the analytics training and teaching on the other hand i think it's uh so far it's been proven to be something the world really needs right now i wonder though serena what 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 does all this you know what you've talked about you know as a people analytics leader maybe feeling that certainly from a corporate perspective you know, it's not necessarily about the companies that you work for, just from a corporate perspective, you felt there wasn't necessarily anything further for you to develop your corporate career. You know, what does this say about the future of people analytics, perhaps, if, if you know, if, if leaders are deciding that they need to go elsewhere? Yeah, that's um, that's a million dollar question, right? And and all, over the years, I almost feel like it's, uh, what's, what's the saying, uh, the shoemaker's uh, kids don't have shoes or something. Is that, is that right? Um, so I, I sort of feel that way about the function building a predictive attrition model, for instance, or building skills-based strategy um, or, um, or you know, data-driven career paths, wh- what have you. Oftentimes, we would do that for other functions, right? The critical jobs, um, whether that's customer-facing roles, you know, whether that's sales, whether that's product, what have you. Revenue-generating roles. Sure, it makes sense to focus on those um, because people in analytics resources are not inexpensive. But then oftentimes, uh, we don't see that on ourselves. Um, it's like the saying where HR for HR is a luxury in most companies. Well, guess what? People analytics for people analytics is also a luxury and i've rarely seen um you know a a a model that focuses on people analytics and sure yes you can argue the sample size is too small and whatnot but but truly when's the last time we really sit down and have an honest discussion with the chro and say look this function is new and it's very different from the rest. It's taken decades to maybe a little more more than a decade to prove that we exist for a reason. 
but no one really knows what we do. And, and when no one knows what we do, that's, that makes it challenging to talk about career paths. But also for their team members, when there's budget cuts, when there's freezing of hiring, or all these things to explain to their peers and the leadership team on a function that's relatively new and maybe, especially in the new place, haven't had a chance to prove out the ROI because it takes time. So how do we make sure there's, you know, it, it is an attractive workplace, it is an attractive long-term play for the people analytics leader and their teams? Um, because like I said, there, it's the, the opportunities are abundant um, that they can go somewhere else. So it seems like that discussion hasn't happened as much. So so I think in the, in the future, I definitely in the past have, have um, done the work a lot of times to share with my stakeholders what is it that we do that solve your pain points and that look sometimes a machine learning model just takes time to become better you can't do that overnight this episode is brought to you by screen cloud the digital signage platform that helps hr teams at over 10,000 organizations around the globe to elevate their digital employee experience with screens that communicate Easy for IT to set up, easy for HR to use, and easy for employees to engage with. To learn how Screen Cloud can enable your organization to increase employee engagement, drive productivity, and improve compliance, visit screencloud.com. That's S-C-R-E-E-N-C-L-O-U-D.com. How do you see the advancements and increasing adoption of AI and machine learning in the field transforming the role and and more specifically the career structure and, and path of the people analytics profession? Yeah, um, I think there's so much potential right now. We are just uh, scratching the surface. One particular area that I see, um, certainly because HR for HR is difficult, I really will hope to see the skills-based workforce strategy come to life. There's a lot of skills tech out there now where, you know, in in maybe 10, 20 years ago, we're filling out what our skills are. Maybe we're taking a survey about our skill set. Maybe there's manager assessment that takes forever. But now with AI, it's able to guess what kind of skill sets you should have based on your job history, based on um, your education certificates and, and all these things that are in the system. And then all you need to do is quickly validate and, and move on, or maybe even may, maybe even not. And then the point of all of this uh, really is not to know what skills everyone has, but to build out a path for the organization. What kind of capabilities do we have today? And what do we need in the future? And how do we close the gap? And then for individuals as well, if I know that I want to be um, an AI expert in you know three years from now, focusing on ethics, for example, um, how do I get there from where I am now? If I'm an HR business partner uh, who who loves data, and and slowly building that 
uh, that pass using AI, um, I think can solve a lot of um, headaches of people saying, well, I, I don't have career paths or I don't know where to go next. And and also because so many jobs that will happen in the future, that will happen in the future are not here yet. And instead of figuring out what role you want to be in, uh, it's really figuring out maybe the next learning that you want to get, uh, maybe the next opportunity that can grow you in in certain ways as opposed to being too focused on the title because that job may not exist. I think AI is also um, starting to transform how HR views analytics, which uh, which is very exciting. There's a lot of technology that really shortens the time from data to insights today. Instead of someone manually doing things like PowerPoint presentation that you know has a chart that and then they have to narrate what is happening in the graph. AI can do that now easily. So so I think that's um, you know instead of everyone learning how to do data analytics, AI can close the gap for a lot of uh, individuals in HR who may not have locked data, but they can now quickly know what's going on. Um, and and I think about things like exploratory analysis as well, where AI can shorten the time and quickly figure out uh, what what's going on in, in the data. Um, and you know, of course, uh, we have to talk about automation a little bit. And and I remember years ago, because um, I had the joy of owning HR operations briefly, we were starting to explore automation and uh, was uh, was payroll. And it was really exciting. You know, we, we were able to get bots to check payroll data and accuracy and, and so on with, uh, with very minimal investment. Um, and this was years ago. And I remember at the time, as I bring up things like, so bring up things like, well, AI can also do amazing things for people analytics. And um, it just, it didn't get the same response <laughs> at the time. Um, people were much more excited about payroll automation versus, you know, automating PowerPoint presentation and people analytics, for instance. <laughs> and, um, but I think we're now in a different place. It feels like getting quicker from data to insights and, and of course, to action is, is getting a lot of traction. A lot of people um, no longer want to be swimming in ocean of data and they want to be, you know, they want to have insights and, and take action because uh, data itself does, does not help with that. So lots of potential for sure. And, and I think the one, I'll add one more um, because there's so much discussion still around return to office and monitoring what people are doing with various technologies out there that can monitor who is locked in, who has batched in, and how many hours people are working. I think a lot of employees and business leaders are holding HR accountable for making sure these type of technologies and monitoring employees' productivity, what have you is ethical and are making the right decisions and it's not creepy. So with with new advancement in AI, um, there can we, we can do a lot of things with the data on employees in real time. Should we? Um, it's a different question. One of the relationships, Serena, just sort of progressing on now that, that is so important for the people analytics leader is that with the, the, the CHRO. 
And certainly we're seeing from the research that we're doing at Insight 222 that over time, the people analytics function in, in many organizations is, is becoming of key strategic values for the CHRO as well. We're seeing that through reporting lines as, as well. Um, you know, obviously, as someone who's, who's done this in, in a number of organizations, what challenges do you see CHROs often express in leveraging people analytics effectively for uh, strategic decision making? Yeah, a, a lot of times the function starts as a reporting function. And I used to have this joke inside my team that uh, we need to make sure we are people analytics team and we're not people reporting team. Um, and and because, um, you know, a lot of times, whether it's ESG requirements or whatever the board of directors needs, um, it, it, there's a lot of data that is required for reporting purposes, and and that's great. It's it's nice to have a team that knows what they're doing, um, but frankly, the value for the company is not going to be as great if you can't get to analytics and solving real problems. A lot of CHROs um, may be stuck thinking about the function as a reporting function um, where they can actually think about, you know what, in the next board of directors conversation, when they're asking about talent, uh, when they're asking about succession planning, when they're asking about return to office again, <laughs> right? What is um, what kind of data can I bring? What kind of insights can I bring to them to make concrete recommendations to move forward so we're not stuck in some debate? Uh, I think it really needs to be at that level of problem that people analytics teams are solving. Um, so it's up to the CHRO to bring, you know, certainly um, bring those problems to the people analytics team, but it's also up to the people analytics leader to ask the right questions to get there. If you keep asking what data do you need, what data do you want to see, you are going to miss the boat completely. And you know, I talk a lot about in my data story um, telling training that you need to first make sure you're solving the right problem. Um, you need to know what's keeping your leaders up at night. And that requires a lot, right? You can't exactly just text your CHRO and say, hey, um, are you losing sleep over something that I can help you with, right? You're not going to get a response. But but really through the conversations about priorities for the company, something that is going to impact the top line or the bottom line, is it going to improve the revenue? Is it going to reduce the cost? If the problem you're solving is not going to do either of those things, it's probably not worthwhile. That means your leadership team probably will not care. It's a cute problem and that's great, but um, it's not something that will give you um, the budget if you want to expand your team, for, ex for example. So, um, so I think it's on both. But then the other piece, uh, I would say, is um, you need to create iPad moments. What do I mean by iPad moments? Well, remember the iPad when it was first introduced? No one requested an iPad, right? No one said, I want an iPad. But once it was introduced, everyone wanted one, it seems like. So how do you bring the insight to your CHRO that make them go, wow, I didn't know I needed this and I absolutely want it uh, going forward. So, so it's a balance of solving the pain points that are really critical to the business quickly and then also spend enough time, whether it's you know 10%, 20% of your time, 
um, to solve the problems that maybe they didn't ask for, but you know will matter to the business. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. Serena, I know you're really passionate about employee well-being and, and probably like many of us, it might have been why you even got into, into HR and people analytics in the first place. And obviously, we've seen it. it's been a big focus for, for many companies during the pandemic. And and thankfully, it has been. We, we burnout, burnout levels are pretty much at record highs at the moment. I, I, I wonder if some companies are starting to take their eye off the ball a little bit when it comes to this topic. What are you seeing in this area and how can people analytics, you know, play an important role in supporting employee well-being? People analytics team has has a huge role in, in supporting this area. Um, I, I'm definitely seeing budget cuts really across the board um, in HR in difficult difficult times. Um, and the cuts are hitting areas like DEI and certainly the, the well-being, um, you know, wh- wh- whatever benefits were introduced during COVID uh, that seems like they were not as needed anymore, um, as well as learning. And unfortunately, these are all critical areas to uh, a person's overall well-being and performance. Um, I mean, if you're not feeling well, whether it's mentally or physically, how can you perform at, at, at your best? And I don't think we need data on this, but I, I will share a few that really resonated with me um, from a recent study by Deloitte, um, their 2023 well-being study. They found that um, 60% of people are actually considered quitting their job to go to a place that will support their well-being, including 75% of C-suite themselves. So everyone is pretty stressed. And, and also there's a, there's a huge gap between what company leaders think they're doing on employee well-being versus what employees are perceiving. 84% of C-suite said their their company has made uh, you know progress on and commitment to employee well-being, but only 39% of their employees agree. So um, so that's a huge gap. And if you think about you know what the board of directors might be thinking, well, we have invested we have invested a lot in employee well-being and it seems like employees are not feeling it. So, so what is the gap? Um, and this is definitely an area where we now have plenty of data. We now um, don't need to rely on our gut for an answer. Um, but because traditionally, maybe it's not something people in the teams have looked at as much um, that we kind of shy away from it. Um, but, but it's absolutely critical. Um, there's also, I just heard a podcast around the loneliness pandemic. And we talked about that a lot. And it's not just a lot 
lockdown initially. It was everything that followed. Um, I recall the stats around 50% of Americans feel lonely. That's a lot. And uh, in fact, the, the U.S. Surgeon General uh, released a framework around how to how to increase your well-being at work. And one of them, one of the five elements is social connection. Um, and as I think about all the conversations and debates around return to office, there's this element that we don't quite measure as much or talk about as much is connection because it's difficult. Um, so there's different types of connection. Social connection means you feel like you are part of something bigger um, and you belong to something bigger than just, just yourself and your family and your close friends. And when that happens at work, it could do incredible things for productivity, collaboration, innovation. And when it doesn't, you sort of feel like not, you are on an island and you have no one to reach out to. So it's great that we are starting to measure productivity of people coming to the office. But do they truly feel connected um, after they spend more time in the office? Or do they feel equally isolated as before because all they do is sit in their cubicle and they don't talk to anyone? Maybe even worse, they're on Zoom calls all day when they're in the office. Um, so I think we can start to measure that, you know, whether through passive listening like organizational network analysis uh, or active listening by surveying whether people feel a sense of connection to colleagues, sense of connection to the purpose? Do they feel like the manager care about them as an individual? Um, those are some sample questions I personally like and, and I think can go a long way if you do it uh, more frequently to get a pulse on what's going on in the organization. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, uh, you know, I think in people analytics, we have a responsibility to do active and passive listening to really understand well-being, to understand inclusion, to understand belonging, to understand connection, all those sorts of things. And maybe as we do more research on this, both within companies, but as a field, we can start to see the impact that not getting those things right has on individuals, on teams. So not just, you know, performance and well-being, but also on company performance and well-being. And maybe that's how we we turn the dial a little bit, you know, in in, in the future. Um, Serena, we're coming to, to the end of the episode. And before we go to the question of the series, um, you know, we talked a lot about people analytics careers i'd love to get your view on this one you know for those aspiring people analytics professionals or even hr professionals that want to develop their data literacy skills what skills do you foresee will be crucial for the field as, as we as we go into the next two three years um i'll give uh three three c's one is communication I, I think storytelling with data is a super critical skill that would not go away anytime soon. We as humans are wired to listen to stories. So how can you do that in the data analytics context is super critical. And also being able to communicate with different audience. You have to tailor your message, right? When I'm um, talking to my data scientist, it's going to be very different from when I'm talking to the CHRO and the CEO. And, and the second C is critical thinking. 
um, in the world that we're living in now with uh, lots of AI generated content out there. Some might be real, some might be false completely. How do we continue to use critical thinking skills to tease out what information to consume and what is true and what is not? It will continue to become um, a, a challenge and probably even become more difficult uh, with AI if we're not careful. And the third C is continuous learning. And really not just taking courses or listening to podcasts and reading articles, but one, one skill I often look for in interviewing individuals to join my team is whether or not they have intellectual humility, meaning um, are they willing to be wrong? Do they have the humility to be wrong and and unlearn something and do something differently? I think that's going to be critical, again, in the world of AI. Um, and you might quickly find out what was true before is no longer true. So those are the three Cs, communication, critical thinking, and continuous learning. Um, notice I didn't say any of the, uh, you know, Python or SQL uh, Tableau skills. Um, I think if you can apply continuous learning, you'll get to a point where you realize you need to pick up those specific skills. Um, and so that's, um, that, that's a great starting point. No, I really love those three. And I think we can apply those for any HR professional. We get to the question of the series now. So this is the question we're asking everyone on this series of the podcast, and we could go quite a long way with this one, I suspect. How will AI transform the role of HR? I I think we need another hour, but (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll try to keep it to highlighting um, three particular areas that I've started to see already. One is the work that HR does. Um, you know, from from automation potential in shared services and answering questions that no longer need to be done by humans, um, th- those um, have tremendous potential for for really efficiency and and time savings and leaving time for HR to do HR things. You know, more human tasks as opposed to uh, the 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 things that AI can do. Second is the impact HR has. Um, I've mentioned skills-based workforce planning strategy, and that can really elevate the impact HR has, um, along with the power of making data more digestible um, to go from data to insights faster. Um, instead of you know being afraid of data, maybe now a lot of HR business partners will embrace data instead because of AI. Um, and finally, the relationship HR has with the organization, whether it's the board of directors, the CEO, but then also with employees. I, I mentioned earlier when we talked about monitoring employees, it's super critical for, for HR to gain and continue to maintain that trust from the organization. Um, but then also with, uh, with other AI tools coming in, leaders are looking to HR to make sure that employees um, and their data are guarded and are, that, that they are safe. Um, and it's used for the right reason. So that relationship where um, HR has is at a critical point, I think uh, could go, um, I hope it's a positive direction, um, but there's a lot to be done for sure. That's no, no, really good. And I like I like things in threes as well. So that's, that's very good. Two questions <laughs> in two threes. I can't remember things like more, than, you know, more than that number. Just... No, no, no. 
No, I could tell. I could, I could tell you've got a consulting background, <laughs> Serena. So that's, that's yep. really cool. So, so, Serena, thank you so much for being a, a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. How can listeners find out? Find you on social media. I know they can find you on LinkedIn. Um, but how can they find out more about data with Serena? How can they find out more about your LinkedIn uh, learning courses? How can they find out about your newsletter? Yeah, very, very easy. Uh, datawithserena.com is my new website, and you can find everything there. And certainly follow me on LinkedIn. I do share um, something daily. It's sometimes people analytics and sometimes something else. So um, hope to connect. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Serena. It's been a pleasure to speak to you as ever. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in. And thank you to Serena Huang for joining us and sharing her invaluable insights on the evolving world of people analytics. If you did enjoy this episode, be sure to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform so that we can keep producing the show. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. You can also learn more about Insight 222 by visiting insight222.com. That's all for now. Thanks for tuning in and we'll be back next week with another episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Until then, take care and stay well.